1: I think if you want to quickly escape from everything in your world, you still want to take the dog with you.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are you say not the what? Not <laughs> dog first.
1: Dog. Yeah. First. Dog. First. No, I won't. First. I won't. I won't amplify that. But.
0: Hello and welcome to another instalment of the Collecting Addicts podcast. I think that's what we call it from now on. It might have a different name at any point. Uh, Again, I'm joined by Neil Clifford, Edward Lovett, Chris Cooper and Manish Pandey. And we're going to talk about a motley collection of shite to do with cars and motorsports. We're going to kick off today with an issue that can run and run and run. And I'm not sure if it isn't actually too serious to be discussed here. Because it is great alloy wheel design. Forget forget the female anatomy, forget global politics, the third world debt. This is an important subject and it's one that could go on forever. I'm going to pass over to Neil Clifford and, and I'm going to set the timer now. You're allowed no more than 10 minutes, all right? <laughs> well, I, I
1: think this subject is never ending and we could, each week we could have a favourite alloy wheel and they'd all be different, frankly, and I've gone from... Well, I won't won't share all of them because then I'll be stealing other people's thunder. I'll get straight to the point. My first company car, 1990 Peugeot
2: 205 1.9 GTI. Oh, pepper parts.
0: No, that's
2: the 1.6. Oh, sorry.
0: And actually, a Pepperpot Pot Strictly is a Ford XR2 wheel. It's, it's yeah. not actually a, 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 a 1.6 GTI wheel. Sorry and, to be And we kid. can
1: get it. I mean, there's a podcast on the 205 GTI in itself, whether the 1.6 or the 1.9 is better. But the wheel of the 1.9 is pure perfection, frankly. It's glorious. And I remember there's a white car. In fact, it wasn't my choice as the spec. I got it off someone who got made redundant. But I didn't care... It was a white car, I would have had the dark green. It had that shitty glass sunroof, which I wasn't happy about. I think it had power steering, but nevertheless, that wheel is it's the
0: best alloy wheel. Okay, how, how much of, the, okay, it's great design of alloy wheel. I think it was made by Speedline, wasn't it? Um, I don't know, actually. I think it was, but, I, but I, how much of the look of the wheel was, was improved by the fact that, that the tyre used to sit, it had a lower profile tyre than a one6 u tyre. The tyre used yeah. to sit on it so perfectly. And the relationship between the rim, the tyre, and the track width and the way the body sat on it was so important. I think if, if the car had had an extra four mil of ride height, it would have ruined it. It's the fact that the back of the car, especially the back of the car, just looked, just like the wheels just been squeezed up inside those wheel arches. I think, I think the back of that car...
1: It's a big debate, obviously, which I'm sure we'll cover. Is the best-looking back of a car ever? That's oh. a big call. If you take that back third, and and the, the little 1.9 badge, the chunky little wheel, just the sheer... Was it was it Pininfarina who, who designed the 205? No, it was it was Zigarto, uh, yeah. No, it wasn't bloody Zigarto. <laughs> it will have a silly bubble roof, wouldn't it? And then I, <laughs> I think
0: it's just. I think uh, let's have an alloy wheel every week. But for me, okay. So I, 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 I can't. I, I'm going to be. I'm going to be slightly judge and jury here. I can't fault that. Uh, it's a wheel that I think is absolute perfection. And I suppose the other thing about great OEM alloy wheel design is, is it? It's inconceivable that you put another wheel on that car. You couldn't improve the look of that car. And if someone did put aftermarket wheels on a 1.9, they looked absolutely worse. rubbish. Worse. Uh, right, twice. Chris Cooper, you're chomping at the bit. What's
3: it yeah. going to be? Uh, one word. Yeah. Three syllables.
0: Yeah. Mini light. Mini light. Oh, okay. <laughs> mini light. <End> <laughs>
3: yeah, it just looks good on almost everything. First, first car I had when I was a student was an original Mini Cooper. Aha, uh-huh. and it came with some banded steel wheels, which was it's a long time ago. Somebody had split the steel wheels, put a band in the middle to make it look wider. They were de- literally death traps. And I found somebody selling some 10-inch mini lights for a Mark 1 Mini, Mark 2 Mini Cooper. Oh, it's just looked the coolest thing. They look cool then. They look cool now. I was looking on everything overnight thinking, 205 uh, is really good call. But it only works on a 205. Mini light looks almost amazing on everything. So it's the alloy wheel of the people.
0: Okay, Maybe. heavily dished. Mini light on a on a Mark II Escort, the Mark rear, escort is, is a spectacular, and I've got some on mine, and they are spectacular, yeah. the only thing I'd say, aesthetically, can't argue, I was talking to the great Francis Tuttle, a few years ago, about a mini light that was on one of their rally cars, and he said, and I'll, I'll ham his accent up slightly, he said, Chris, there's only two issues I have with the mini light, they're not very small, and they're not especially light, um, so I, I suppose there's, there's a, there's a slight issue with the description of the wheel. Uh, but I, I do think it, it is. Yeah, it's, you know, if it's that a, was it's...
3: true, no one would ever buy a Jaguar car, would they? <laughs> Manish. I, I've He'll... met Francis and he's an extraordinary man, but you'd have to do better than that to knock my mini light off the top of this perch.
0: I thought it was
4: quite succinct, actually. Uh, Manish, yours, your wheel. Very, very succinct. I, um. I am a massive fan of the Lamborghini Countach LP400, the original, but, but, and I think, you know, it is the best of all of those Countachia, the Periscope, but the LP400S was the first one that came with those magnesium alloy wheels with the five holes in them.
3: Yeah. And for me,
4: that's it. It just never got any better. It's simple. It's perfect. It's elegant. The back one, because I can't remember if it's 205 or something, the, um, that the angle of the holes is just so beautiful, because this thing, it's like a, it's like a cast Formula One wheel thing, loving, beautiful, and Please tell me you'd
0: have them in gold. Please tell me you'd have
4: them in gold as well. No, no, (laughs) no, no, no. no. We don't do coffee tables in our house with wheels. Just, no, no.
0: So I think you're quite right about that angle of, when you'd walk around the back of the car, you'd see a different shape of the cut into the alloy. Yeah, oh. okay. that's a really, really good shout. Um, uh, I'm going to allow myself to go next um, because Edward always gets his own way. Uh, so I'm going to say, um, I've, got, I've got such a list. I'm going to go with 1973 Fuchs RSR on the back, 13-inch on the back mm. of a 2.8 RSR. Six, Again, six, the Fuchs six. wheel for yeah, me is yeah. everything. And I, that, the, every time I see that rear wheel, and particularly the way that you know latterly uh, Rob Dickinson's played with that designer wheel when they when they matt the the rim itself is sort of a matte unpolished finish. One of us here has a singer and knows what I'm talking about. and that, the, the way that people play with the way the light can fire off the matte finish, the polished edge, the Foos wheel is is a brilliant piece of design. it's it happens to be strong and light, unlike other wheels that have been mentioned. Um so for me it's that first although a special shout out in the modern era for me the rear of an E39 M5 the early cars that had the that yeah, sort of nice white finish yeah mm. god with the dish i remember first mm. seeing those and thinking well oh, i need those and the color the special color yeah, yeah amazing that- uh, edward what are you going to go for
2: well obviously i've got rohan in the office here so he went straight for Cullen and black badge <laughs> which, so i threw something at him um <laughs> I've so obviously BBS foot wheels. I I think a rear wheel on an M3 CSL, an E46 M3 CSL. I mean, it's
3: just so many, yeah.
2: It's it's beautiful, but I've 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 written something down here which is highly highly distasteful, but I think it's equally wonderful, which is the new. Rolls-Royce Phantom Wheel that they've oh. just launched, which is a single piece. Yes. It's stunning and I can imagine rather wonderful to clean because there's nothing worse than cleaning an alloy wheel with a sponge and cutting up your hand. And that is a vet that's going to be a very
3: satisfying yeah. wheel to clean. To, talking of that, I Bentley on the Mulzan had that monoblock.
1: Yeah, but, that's a lovely wheel, that. Yes. And
3: I remember, Chris, when we drove somewhere years ago when we were racing, you had, must have been when they first came out and it had the monoblock wheel.
2: It's certainly yeah. not mini and it's certainly not light. It's, it's the counter opposite, but, but uh, it, was,
3: yeah. it was so lovely.
2: Yeah. yeah I,
0: I had when I, when I had a Mulsanne, I had to beg the factory to find me a set of those and they did. Yeah. And getting them transported down wasn't easy because they, they do weigh as much as the moon. Yeah, um, so I look, I tell you what, we could do wheels every go single day, and I'd like to put I'd, I'd like to make an official apology on, on behalf of collecting cars for all those wheels that have been neglected in this conversation that will come up in later conversations, we love them all. like Most the least. magnesium BBSs for a GT3 that I've got in the back of my Land Cruiser that I collected this morning. When you pick one up, you almost have a knee trembler at the lack of weight, they're just gorgeous bits of energy. Okay. In fact, you can argue the wheel. Is the ultimate expression of, of all that nerdiness that we find and we love about cars. They they have design, they have engineering, so they somehow elicit passion. They're they're sort of a they're a shrink wrapped version of our of our total passion for cars. Now, yesterday on social media, I um I probably didn't help my chances of driving a new Lamborghini anytime soon. <laughs> no um, change there. Uh, I don't really care uh, because I just I don't understand uh, why engineers and designers are allowed to spend so much time and effort and use their expertise to create shapes and, and cars that, that we want to drive and celebrate. And then they give it to the marketing department and say, promote it. I can't remember the exact words used, but I think the phrase uniqueness is twofold. wound me up a bit. Yeah. As did the word invincible. But I would have to apologise to Spanish people because apparently invincible is invincible in Spanish, but I don't speak the lingo, um, which would fit with the Spanish bull connection. So maybe I, I, I was a step too far there. But what is it about these marketing departments that take, somehow they're they're empowered by car companies to deliver paid message. And they, it's, it's like Richard Porter was giving it to write or Harry Enfield. I wonder whether they're spoofs or not. Discuss. Chris, Chris Cooper, you're chomping at the bit. Yeah,
3: so um, I've got two examples that I think are awful. And I'm really sorry, Aston Martin, they're both yours. Oh. <laughs> uh, about 10, 12 years ago. Oh, yes. You know what's coming. You know what's
0: coming. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm going to play my harp now.
3: You could only if you do it keenly. (laughs) It was the Rapide launch. There was a video. And they had this idea. It was when the good doctor was there. And just in case anybody forgotten, there's some relationship between Aston Martin and Bond, is there? I don't know. I'm sure I've seen that somewhere. So they had this little skit where the four of them got into a repeat. So they had four secret agents, because it's a four-seater car. Oh, great, thank you. And they were all... They had little bios on Twitter, each of the agents. I mean, (laughs) how much stuff were they smoking when they came up with this? So each of these little agents had a Twitter bio, and one of them was weapon specialist and keen harpist. No. what's the... But much more recently, when... um, uh, Dr. Stroll took over, and they launched the DBX. They had that awful advert where they'd almost decided. Now people don't know what Aston—they had to tell us what Aston. Hang on, it's the coolest car brand in the world. You don't need to explain it. And when they launched, I, I, I looked again this morning. There's a line in there describing the DBX, and it said, "It's been baptised in the flames of adventure." <laughs> I'm sorry, Aston Martin. <laughs> Oh, you this one, this is this the
4: one? Is this the one with Vettel just standing? No, those are those ball. are okay. I no, can okay. before, before that, the most disappointing the
0: thing, the thing, the thing, thing is, about the keen harpist was his Twitter account. He clearly wasn't taking it seriously because <laughs> I asked him on several occasions through direct messages whether he give me whether he could help me with my weapon or whether he can teach me to play the harp. And he never replied, the rude bastard. Um, but it was, it was a low point. And, I, and I, actually, the, the sad thing about Aston Martins at comms, and don't get me wrong, I'm a big fan of cars. Um, the sad thing about Aston Martin is the most memorable Aston Martin advert wasn't even written by them. It was the spoof one about used Aston Martins with that rather attractive lady, do you remember? And it was, it was, a, it was a spoof of the approved use scheme that said, yes, would yes. you really mind being second? <laughs> and, it was, it was, and it went viral, yeah, and everyone that. thought that was it was their up. own <laughs> advert. It wasn't. It was just a spoon. It should have been. It yeah, <laughs> should that's have brilliant. been. Yeah. Um, okay. That's a, yeah, that's a, g- a great example. Uh, Neil, what, what are your thoughts?
1: Well, my thoughts I've, I've decided I ignore all of these press releases, I don't take any notice of any of it. I, I, I wait for what journalists think, and frankly, what I think. And I've officially never. This is weird. I've never bought a car that I've driven beforehand. So I always just take the journalist's view and study my Evo five stars on the bog for hours. And then I'd make a decision on a car. I never read a press release. But I'd say two things. One, I was addicted to the brochure. Yes. around cool. the Ford and bmw dealerships of the 70s and 80s yeah. and just getting a bloody brochure and studying those imageries of the granada in gold you know with the super hot chick and all of that or the mg the mg ones were brilliant weren't they or the ford you know hendy lennox in have in portsmouth you know
3: hendy lennox
1: but what the, the last thing i'd say on this is the total opposite of pr was buying a car from Tony Crook at Bristol. And I spent 10 years traveling to London with my mate, um, Mr. Sweetenham, and we'd stop at the Bristol dealership on Kensington High Street every night. And we'd pop in there and we'd stick our noses against the window and we'd see the fighter or the brigand or whatever it was called. And he'd invite us in and his German secretary would be in the corner and he'd make us a cup of tea and he'd tell us his stories about how he you know, beat Sterling Moss and flew a Spitfire. But he would give us a photocopied brochure. It wasn't even a brochure. It was a photocopy. Black and white. And, 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 and he'd mark us in his little Rolodex that we'd been in. And actually, I did that for 10 years until I, I got some money, and I went and bought one. It's the first thing I did. I walked in there and bought a Bristol Brigand of Tony Crook, 2008, before you retired. And of course, there's always a story with the Bristol, the wife died, the man died. He was a Concorde pilot. There was always some crazy story. I think my car was a Concorde pilot or something. That is the opposite of all this sort of wanky PR. That's Just brilliant. Talk directly to your
0: customer. It, always a Concorde pilot. It was. I'm going to jump in there. I mean, I've, got, I've been too close to this. And I've got to be very careful because I'm judging the quality of other people's writing. And a lot of people think my writing's crap. So I've got to be a little bit careful that I don't incite uh, accusations of hypocrisy. For me, the greatest shame of, 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 of the crime of copywriting in the last 30 years was when someone at BMW 15 years ago decided to, to get rid of the best strap line in, in motoring, the ultimate driving oh, machine. Oh God. And they replaced it with the word joy. And I... I remember it's the first time I felt a sense of genuine outrage. I, I almost couldn't comment because I was just, my piss was boiling at the fact that this had happened. And it comes back to the brochure, I think, maybe. What Neil said, as a kid, I would find any excuse to get to a BMW dealership and, and I would get the brochure. Yeah. I, I would shamelessly walk out with a bag full of brochures. Yeah. <laughs> uh, and what I I used to study them religiously. I used to read every, every moment of my life, I'd find a way of looking at a brochure. And the only th- most of it was joyous. The only downside, by the way, to looking at brochures in those days was all the cars were German spec and loaded to the gunnels. So my dad's BMW always looked so poverty spec because the, the cars in the photos had all the buttons. They all had all the extra the buttons. New blanks. And we had we had all the blanks. The we had blank buttons. New, we didn't have the bloody Recaro <laughs> seats. We had steel wheels. We had a shit Motorola radio that got taken in and out of each car. We never had one of those blower blau- points. It's to kill me. But the idea that someone probably my age, was was charged with handling the crown jewels of that company, that strap line the ultimate driver machine, and chose to flush it down the toilet and yeah. l- lay the turd of the word joy is, is one of the great crimes yeah. of, of, of the automotive yes, world. And luckily, totally it, was, it was righted a while ago, but still just tragic. Horrible. I agree. Uh, uh, Manish. Um,
4: so this... Is probably something you have heard, but I don't know if you've seen this ad, came out right at the end of last year for the Lamborghini Sterato. Oh, oh God. God. There's this music goes, dum, 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 and then you see a man kind of walking through. It looks like a Middle Eastern temple, and then this very hot woman gets into a Lamborghini Sterato, and it's driven through something that looks like the cross between, I don't know, the Gobi Desert and somewhere else. And I, I just noted a few fantastic words. Let the show off begin. Spray paint concrete on tyres that thrive on the rim. Dust is gold, dirt for the bold. And it ends with a bunch of crops. He writes up. this stuff. I just could, I was looking at it, squinting, going, I don't believe this guy's saying this. I don't know who's writing it. Just, who can write dust is gold, dirt for the bold? <laughs>
3: Chat, GPT would do a better job than that. Know, they probably so, did it.
4: <laughs> so you know what this got me to do is I remembered from visiting my dad once in America, a Cordoba, a Chrysler Cordoba advert with Ricardo Montalban, and I couldn't believe it. I found it on YouTube. And I think this could have been the progenitor for all really bad adverts. Oh, so, shit. there's some great lines the quality of its workmanship, tastefulness of its appearance, all to the concerto or Anquest. I mean, you're listening to. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this is great. There's this is great line. It just, this is brilliant. Seats available in soft Corinthian leather. <laughs> what is Corinthian leather? And then, best, it says, Yet it's on the highway where the Cordova answers my demands. And there's a helicopter shot of the car trying to take a corner. And it is like watching the Titanic at Monaco. (laughs) It's it's the worst advert. And it it ends with this fantastic line. It says, I have more in this Chrysler than great comfort at a most pleasant price.
3: (laughs) We should be hired. We should be hired. Just oh, the there's, there's
2: definitely a piece on just the, the, the best and simplest uh, yeah. advertising campaigns for, for the car. I, I love the Porsche one where no, nobody's perfect. That's brilliant. <laughs> yeah. That's yeah. brilliant.
0: Porsche had the game down in the seventies and eighties with Jeff Swart. You know, he was the man in North America that yep. shot and was involved in so many of those great adverts. Kills bugs fast with the turbo. Yeah. <laughs> they were they were classic adverts, and, and actually yeah. VW with the with the Golf, yeah. so, and, yeah. and, and the Beetle, and the and the Combi van. There's a whole book of, of that particular ad agency's work, which is which is sensational. But it is, I think, I think this is a notable mention for Richard Porter again, Mr. Sniff Petrol when he used to do his fake adverts. Yes. For, for for car companies. <laughs> we might put some up as a slide now. Some them were just brilliant. It's <laughs> had a picture of a um of a of that MG, whatever with the V8 engine just, just saying Germany fuck off or something. <laughs> bleep, bleep, bleep. It, just, it was so offensive, but it, they were the they, they spoke the words that we knew the car company wanted to say, but they didn't yeah. feel they could. <laughs> um, yeah, it's it's a, yeah, automotive marketing. We'll come back to this again, I'm sure, but it's it just I just it's as the supposed recipients of this stuff. The fact that we find oh it no. so repellent, maybe they're cleverer. Maybe that maybe they maybe they, they realise the joy and fun that this causes. <laughs> the discussion is good. Uh, I assume they all wouldn't be here now. But they've also
2: they, sold all the cars, so it probably just doesn't matter what they say.
0: Well, I think
2: really. that's right. I
1: think there's a danger of us being old farts. But there is. We'll
3: have that. Oh. Well, I, you know,
1: I, I mean, maybe there's, uh, maybe there's an old fart discussion we have, but I think I think it's like right they're talking to twelve year olds. Yeah,
3: <laughs> isn't it? They are.
0: I tell you what, that's quite insulting to my twelve year old. I'm gonna, you know, when we when, when we leave here, I'm gonna watch him play hockey. I'm gonna sh- I'm gonna make him read that Lamborghini post on Instagram with a straight face. Yeah, and if he doesn't say the words insufferable shite to me, he's buying his own dinner tonight. <laughs> um, right, now, th- this next subject is like alloy wheels. We could do this every single week, and it's a, I think it's worrying that we, we... Like chess, we might need a timer each so that we don't go too far. Hmm. The estate car, the station wagon, the saloon car with a box on the back of it. Why is it we love them so much, especially in the context of performance? Why is it we turn a saloon into a dog carrier... And suddenly it it assumes a specialness and a coolness that is very difficult to explain. Neil Clifford, you've got three and a half hours starting now. Yeah. I, I think I think it's um I think it's the Rambo in us.
1: I think we always just want to escape and we want to escape from everything and get away and be able to put as much shit in a car that we could just live in if everyone was chasing you work, the wife debt collectors, you can just disappear into the middle of Wales and sleep in the back of an estate car and no one knows where the fuck you are. (laughs) And so for me, it's about escape, estate cars. It's about practicality, being able to just load everything in my possessions and get away from it all. Um, In that regard, my favourite, and I've owned this car and I stupidly, but actually... Selling a car is never a good idea, I've decided, basically, because you always wish you hadn't bloody sold anything. Uh, the, the obvious Volvo T5 estate mm-hmm. yellow manual is the critical cool. of that. In the pale yellow, my wife yep. I was an idiot. The people that I turned up at my son's football thought I was an idiot. What at that guy in that weird yellow Volvo. What the hell is he doing? So it's the ultimate of...
2: If you know, you know. Did you buy that as a new car, Neil? Or did you buy it as a a, a classic?
1: I bought it. I bought it at four-star classics. Oh. And uh, I mean, it was like 17 grand. It's probably like 40 grand now or something stupid. 40,000 miles from new, full history, UK car, right-hand drive, manual, no scuffs on the alloys. Um, Beautiful thing. And but I could go on forever. There's about a hundred estate cars that I'd want to buy immediately.
2: Chris, you've obviously just taken delivery of one. Mm. Has is it already living up to your expectations?
0: It's a it's a irritatingly talented motor vehicle. So M, the new M3 Touring. I know the face isn't great, but I hate to say it, it's growing on me. Um, and the but the rear of the car is. It's bang on. It's wide. Yeah. It's, it's just got that shoulders look. That you, if, you see, if you see it, I followed it down the motorway. Someone drove it for me yesterday to go somewhere. And I followed it from about a quarter of a mile. And you could spot it. It's got that M stance. It's really special. Um, what is it about state cars? I come at it from a slightly different angle. It's part. There's some escape and there's some wanting to have my clobber with me. But I think on a very basic self-conscious level, I've always known that if you present performance in an estate car form versus a saloon car form, people respond differently. They just think you're more caring. It's really strange. You turn up in an E63 estate and you're this, oh, he's probably got a family and he's, he's, he loves his kids. You turn up in the saloon, you're just a wanker. Um, it's really strange. The estate car does that. There's there's yeah. a sense of, I, I love the, the phrase Q and I love the etymology of Q and the origins of it. Um, and I, there's something debadging a very, very fast estate car, even though ever, those that know, no, they just need to see an exhaust pipe or a, or a wheel offset or a wide arch. They know, but I just think it's a, it's a nice piece of inverse snobbery that many people think is again a nice character trait.
2: I was looking over some images of uh, the Sultan of Brunei's custom built estate cars, like the Bentley there
4: How dare you chop off my estate? You've done it. <laughs> You've just done a cliff. <laughs>
0: But the, um, I think, I I just love the way they look. I think in, yeah. in principle, I'm more of a two-box man than a three-box man. My, my, the the long roof line of of an estate car is incredibly pleasing yeah. to me. I've spent ages trying to divine. It. I'm not Stephen Bailey. I don't have a great big sort of vocabulary of design language. But I just, at a very basic level, like stuff with a they long look pick. good is enough. Yeah, yeah. When, when I bought when I the first the first um, Panamera Sport Turismo, whatever they call it. Mm. The bloody the one with the yeah. look. When I first saw that car, great looking car weak knee moment, I just thought, God, yeah. that looks so Perfect. much better than a Panamera. Yeah. So yeah, I, I don't know whether people agree with me. And 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 of course dynamically. In the old days, an estate car was hugely compromised. The shell was weak. You had extra weight. There was compromises with the rear suspension because people cared about intrusion of suspension turrets. No one cares now. It's just a saloon car with a boot and they drive exactly the same. So there's no compromise at all, dynamically.
2: Neil said the other day that life's better in a Bentley. So can we ask Bentley, please, to make the current Flying Spur in an estate version? Oh, yeah, it actually. would sell
3: too. Somebody did. Yeah. They? There,
2: there's someone did some mock-ups of that car. I, I don't one. think it was yeah. a real thing. It looked sensational.
1: Yeah. Isn't it about the dog as well? The fact that
0: yes, this, yes, there's a dog
3: thing. Yes. Well, it's at least the potential.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think we've all the got potential the of dog. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I mean I, I, I've I've slightly changed my tune on that, chap, because my dog now comes in the cabin. He can't keep him in the boot, so I don't have the need. My old dog, bless him, used to be in the boot the whole time, but this little sod, he's all round the cabin of the car. So I can I'm I'm quite happy in a saloon car now for that reason.
1: I think if you want to quickly escape from everything in your world, you still want to take the dog with you.
0: Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Are you saying not the wife? Not. <laughs> Dog
1: first. Dog, yeah, dog first. <laughs> no, I won't, I, won't, I won't amplify that. But
4: <laughs> Can I just say you're not, I don't think you're allowed to use the definite article in front of the word wife anymore. You can't yeah. do It's 270 stand up.
0: Oh, sorry, you're quite right. I think you're it's a very right. good call. Yeah,
3: right,
1: I right, think right. wherever the, our dog goes, for sure the wife would be there much before. <laughs> He's just
3: done it again. Okay. He's just done carry it again. on, Manish. Yeah. No, no,
4: no.
1: The dog, get... the dog loves my wife, not me, basically. <laughs> the reality. Okay,
0: oh. fair enough. And uh, once we get cancelled, we can talk about what fun this was. Manish, state <laughs> cars. It's
4: like I, I, I um, didn't have a car in London forever. And then when, we, uh, when Natasha and I got married, we... Um, had our boy for a year. I still didn't have a car in London. You're living in Belsize Park, disaster to park, drive, all the rest of it. But um, I remember we used to go to her sister's In she, she lives north of Oxfordshire. And um, we took a train from Bicester Village on a Sunday evening. And there were 5,000 people on the platform with nine carrier bags each. And someone told me this is clothing outlet Superland. So I ordered a car the next day. I actually ordered it. I got onto Audi and I bought an Audi A4 estate and I still have it. It's um, 16 years old. It hasn't even done 38,000 miles so it just doesn't do any miles but I love this car. I thought it looked better than the Audi Avant and the moment we got a dog he was at home in the back. So and it's just it's just great. The lines look great. It starts when I start it. It's got a few central London scratches. Every two years I get them painted out. But it's my car to drive around in London with. It looks the like Dog gets in the back. But if money was no object and I could get hold of one of these, I'd love it. The Sultan of or somebody in the Sultan of Brunei's family had six Ferrari four five six GTs yes yep. in the states. And they were called the Venice.
3: Yeah.
2: Do you
4: remember? Right. And they look
3: yeah that does look nice. They
4: there's look. one
2: there's one of those just off the off Sloan Street.
4: Shut up, really isn't
2: there? There is in the un, in an underground car park.
4: Oh, we're on lip. our way there. Edward bid, bid him
2: I, I keep putting a business card on there <laughs> He won't call me back.
4: <laughs> they were a million. Right. They were a million and a half dollars each. That's worth yeah. reading. I mean, that is mm. a lot of money to have that put on the back of a two hundred. Yeah, but you're right; car. they're stunning,
0: and they're, the yeah. four is already already a good looking car, looking better. Yeah. yeah. So Chris Cooper, what about you? you're like me and, and Neil. You love. Yeah,
3: very that. similar, and you're you absolutely right about the difference between an E63 saloon and wagon. Uh, I once to recall you turned up to pick me up in an E63 saloon. Yeah, and it took me a long time to reappraise my opinion of you. Uh, and I had the I had the wagon. With the, it was great. I at the moment I'm going through a really odd phase of I really love early 60s Americana, mm-hmm. and there used to be in the Timberland shop in Westfield, in Shepherd's Bush, pictures on the wall, and there was a 1965 Jeep Wagoneer with no wood on the side just the sort of the two big headlamps with the vertical slats, not the big ones and the small ones. Beautiful. Jeep did this retro one of it a few years ago. Um, I think that's just the most stunning wagon. It was before we knew to call them SUVs, well before Range Rover, all those kind of things. But to take Neil's point from earlier about you could put everything in it and go anywhere. It's such a simple, elegant. There's a 1962 Plymouth Villager, which sounds a bit, but it was just that it's just 70 acres of car yeah (laughs) with this long beautiful sort of split tailgate you could get oh i want one of those so yeah i just think they look right they they do everything they say all the right things and you can put everyone's dog in them
2: That's actually a good those those are obviously that we're now not talking about performance cars, although they've got massive gas guzzling V 8s in them. But some of those American estate cars, yeah, whatever they call, they're they're huge. Late sixties got three three rows of full seats. Yeah, yeah, Yeah. got to be early sixties.
0: There was there was a Buick made in the early nineties that had one that had a big block in it. And photographer, I think it's a big block. Jamie littman has got it. It's called the battle bus, and it, it's a. It is. You think we have bigger estate cars now? It's the width of this thing. Yeah. That you can't when you see it, it's got about a foot of bodywork outside of the rear tires. It's just vast from the rear. Yeah, they knew how, and they remember they used to have a door that the back the, the rear tailgate was a door. Yeah, that would come out about seven feet behind the car when you opened it. I think there is something of an issue with the boot. That's probably a chat for another
1: time there's not that many cool cars that have a boot. That three box thing, maybe yeah. 39 M5. But, you know, the boot has connotations of sort of sales rep from the 80s in a Cavalier sort of way, doesn't it? Made yeah. Do yeah.
0: people not care about boot space anymore. And a lot of the hybrid cars are a real problem. So the guy that I spent a lot of time in the back of his car in Bristol, he's got an S-Class. He was going to buy a hybrid S-Class. And he said, with the hybrid system, in the boot intrusion means he can't actually take two normal-sized suitcases for someone that he's driving to the airport. So the car's useless to him. Because actually, the, the, when you sign up to be private hire, one of their uh, advisories, and I think it is a, a bit of a rule, is you can't have any baggage in the cabin in case it breaks free. You're not insured. So even if you have a, a suitcase on the front passenger seat and, and strap it in, you're, you're, you're breaking the terms of your insurance. Um, which is utterly boring. I know. I've yeah. got even more thrilling stories to share with you later on. <laughs> <I'll> um, wait. <laughs> right. Let's move on from uh, from estate cars. I don't want to move on. Estate, by the way, M3 Touring, if you've got one on order, you're a lucky bar steward because it's a fantastic motor car, it rides well. That engine is a monster. It, it looks right. Yeah. I'm having a It, it. needs clear like glass. glass. It needs but 100 clear grand. Glass. I'll get the clear glass all out. Yeah. 100,000 pounds, these cars are now. That's well, my mind. Yeah. Rallying. rallying or two or and a half and down
2: 750 a month, isn't it?
0: <coughs> all right. <laughs> the rest of, of your life. life. <laughs> Can't yeah. take it out of you, can we? Right, next subject, rallying. Or as they say in Wells, rallying. Um, <laughs> it is, uh, it's my favourite form of motorsport. Uh, everyone, I think, loves rallying a bit because they like seeing cars slide around. But why, and this was proposed by Chris Cooper, actually, who is a good knowledge of, of the way the sport works on an uh, organisational level, Why is rallying struggling so much? We live in a world where young children love seeing sliding. drifting's a big thing. Slip angles are what the world's all about. They should be much more interested in rallying than Formula One. But no one seems to be interested in it. And the stat that I put up on our little chat before this was that when Colin McRae went to Ford for the beginning of the 2001 season, I'm pretty sure... He was paid more than just about any Formula One driver, which makes you understand how big the sport was back then. Manish, you have an understanding of Formula One. Where do you see rallying through your prism of roundy, roundy racing love?
4: If you read Max Mosley's biography, there's a really telling line in it. Um, Bernie became vice president of promotional affairs for the FIA. And uh, one of the promises he made was obviously that I'm going to promote everything, all forms of motorsport, including Formula One. Um, Some people would dispute whether that happened or not, but (laughs) there's a wonderful description that Max has. He said that uh, Bernie comes along to um, quite possibly North Wales, but it's definitely a muddy rally track. And he said that the door opened in his car and out came a Gucci loafer touched the mud and sank a few inches he looked at max and said i've had enough of this i'm not coming back <laughs> and that's it he left and, and therein the, the promotion of formula one okay i think you know uh, it pro- probably weighed more upon bernie's mind than you know sloshing around in the mud and i joking aside i you know when we were kids it was bloody exciting and when the onboards came, you could almost argue rallying is more compelling than yeah. um, than Formula One, because yeah. you, you're just seeing these trees and, you're, you know, the proximity to death is extraordinary. The sense of danger. People argued that, oh, well, you didn't get overtaking. But as you pointed out last week, Chris, um, there wasn't exactly that much overtaking in Formula One in the 80s and 90s. It wasn't really an overtaking sport. And I do I do wonder whether, you know, just Bernie aside, just. They got the promotion wrong. Formula One just got its promotion right. You know, it just did. It just got itself onto television. You've got this format, which is 90 minutes to two hours. You can end it very easily. You can do it live. There's no doubt having a sport live, there's a visceral element to that. Anything can happen. How do you really do multiple rally stages live? You've got to condense them into some kind of something that you can broadcast. And if you do that, are you losing are you losing something? Are you losing that that last component? I mean, I I, I think we consume sport in a more American way and we have done for a long time. Yeah. I think mm. Formula One was brilliant yeah. at doing that. You know, I'd even heard somebody once say, you know what we should do with Formula One now, just to make it really modern, is we should have two halves we should do half the race, we should have 15 minutes in the middle, reset the grid and then have the next half of the race and then we can have our ads. Can you see rallying being able to bend to any of this or oh, Le Mans 24 hours or anything? It Just as a consumer sport, as a television sport, the, the immediacy of the thrill is there, but can you sustain it for six hours, 12 hours?
0: I, I, all, all of that I, I accept. And I've written about this countless times over the past 25 years and I still don't have a definitive position on it. But and, I, and I, where I where I come unstuck is, I totally get the idea that, that um, long-form rallying is just not made for television. It's not made for a generation of, of viewers that increasingly have a shorter attention span. I mean, my kids can't understand an hour and a half Grand Prix. How they're supposed to understand a five-day test match or a five-day rally is, is, is quite understandable. I wouldn't get it. But as recently as 2001, not that long ago, when, you know, television was beginning to change, the way that people consume media was changing. Um, the biggest spectator event in Northern Europe was the RAC rally, or what we called the RAC rally, because it wasn't then, it was probably the network queue or something. But Burns versus McRae brought out yeah. thick end of two million people to the forests of Wales and the lakes and the journey, the television, you know, the BBC wanted to have primetime television following it. so. In the modern era, rallying has captured a nation's imagination. It just shows that great rivalries can sometimes supersede uh, the restrictions or the limitations of the media that's presenting them. So maybe we haven't had that compelling rivalry that we wanted. And maybe the likes of Loeb winning nine on the trot and then Ogier doing the same killed it as much as the fact that that it's a very difficult thing to to televise. I think I've got the answer. Go on. The cars are shit. (laughs)
1: you don't want to watch anything which is cars that your grand would drive
4: do you
3: think the cars are shit though well they just like, look like they look shit they're not you know yeah, yeah. They're, they're all defi- i disagree i disagree i would defy anybody to look at that red bull sponsored puma wrc and say oh,
0: well, i've already fallen asleep that's a big dull. <laughs> I I, I, can, I can see both sides here. They are ordinary cars. In ordinary. principle, the silhouette's ordinary. But when you're up close to them, they're vicious. The, particularly they the, the, the Yaris is an angry bastard.
1: No, but look, look at Group a- B. Quattro Sport, T16, Lancia, whatever, 037. Or, I mean, they were cars you wanted to own. You aspire to these amazing...
3: Yeah.
1: You don't aspire to a Kia fucking whatever it's called. What about the Yaris GR,
0: though? Well, does that not work?
3: It's boring. <laughs> They're not boring to drive, though. I mean, I had this conversation with one of my sons, Cameron, and he said he just he agrees with you, Neil. He said people don't care enough anymore, and people romanticise Group B. But from a performance and technology point of view, the current WRC cars, the Group key wouldn't see where they went. They are so much faster and dramatic and exciting. I, I, I think it is. It's a combination of everything everyone said um and i think the cricket analogy is a good one cricket test cricket if you're into cricket is you know everyone worries about it which is why this format the hundred came out you know even mm. fewer balls mm. than t20 uh and that is is all part of the that perfect storm of of, of understanding um, well, i think it's it, it an is,
1: attention span thing it's like golf isn't it it just no one plays golf anymore it just takes too long
2: Manish, obviously, we talked about the the American ownership of Formula One and how important that's been in transforming awareness, you know, sliding, doing Pikes Peak, for example, or sliding concrete rallies around um, Vegas, you know, surely that would bring uh, a a level of awareness um, but, but but that but that isn't probably I mean, Chris, the epitome just of technology. Oh, rallycross. You know that. that
0: that is a different that's a different sport. It exists already, and actually, if you look at if you look at the way rallying is going, it will inevitably become rallycross because yeah. that is just short form rallying in a contained environment where you can film it all. Can you imagine trying to film a rally? The BBC used to send in the late seventies, early eighties would send a crew of people to the stately home opening stages of of a rally. And they, it, it it felt so bare, but they had ten cameras up there. Yeah, And that's all they—they they had ten cameras watching Tony Pond try and avoid hitting trees in an SD one. Yeah,
3: which he and the BBC's
0: thinking we've spent thing. more money on this than we have on Wimbledon, and everyone who's watching it's going, we well, didn't see much of the car. I mean, so you're damned if you do, damned if you don't.
2: Yeah.
0: So I I, I I'm hugely passionate about it, and it, you know, it does it, make, it makes me a bit wistful for conversation. Just just, just block, one. Who, who one was,
4: One tiny thought on this. If you look at sort of Extreme E, there's one new tool in the kind of, you know, film producer, TV producer's box, and that's the drone. And I do wonder. Oh, God. uh, Look, I don't love drones and I certainly don't love Extreme E. We're quite careful with how we use them. But I think you've effectively got one extra tool. If you really, really wanted to make rallying, I think you wouldn't need hundred cameras then because one of the problems we've got with all of this you can have loads and loads of automated cameras there'd be lots and lots of ways of making making rallying work I think the thing is at some point presumably manufacturers hit this little you know this little divide they go either down the kind of known quantity of Formula One the eyeballs they get versus what you were pointing out it might be two million people who turn up to it but what's a TV audience? And I think that's the, you know, that's what seems to rule right now. You know, just tell me how many people are watching. But, but
0: but of all the car companies in the world that are making hay, that are growing, and that seem to have an eye on the balance sheet, isn't it yeah. interesting that Hyundai is willing to spend money rallying and not on Formula One? There must be something in it for them. They're not they're not just doing it out of charity. No, there's the, something and, there. sure.
3: and that that is the concern because I mean, Ford are really only half involved in it with M Sport. It's Toyota and Hyundai. And if either of those lost interest, then we would be in trouble. I mean, this is a big topic of debate in governing bodies and the FIA and elsewhere. You know, lots of people pine for the 70s and 80s, which is why historic rallying and the Roger Albert Clark rally is so popular. Lots of people want to take part. Lots of people want to watch it. I think the lack of a Burns and McRae is for this country. The lack of a world rally championship round in this country is you know, everybody's worrying about it, trying to fix it. Um, but I, I'd implore everybody to just go on TikTok or YouTube and just look at those little clips of, click on asphalt, of those cars
0: now. I mean, bloody hell. That's... Yeah, I, I've driven one. They are wild. I, honestly, with with push to pass, with, when you bring the hybrid in, it's nearly 600 horsepower. It's they look uh... like your grand's car. I'll tell you what, if your grand drove. I a want to meet your grand, yeah. I, I, <laughs> know, I, haven't, I
1: haven't got a grand anymore. But give them, <laughs> <laughs> give them all
0: 911 Dakars. Um Okay, on, to, as an adjunct to that, Group B, we, we, we've all over romanticized Group B. I, I believe that we've made more of it than it actually was because by the end of Group A, the cars are better than the Group B cars. But Group B, you're allowed one road car derived from a Group B rally car as the homologation exercise. Which one do you take, Edward Lovett?
2: 037.
0: Okay, Chris Cooper? Metro 6R4. Neil Clifford?
2: I own a (laughs) T16. Oh,
4: come on! So I'll take a a (laughs) T16. Manage? 037 every day. 037? beautiful.
0: Chris Harris? 911 SCRS. Oh, oh super I
2: own an SCRS. <laughs>
0: <laughs> that's the only
2: time I'm gonna be able to do a Neil Clifford.
1: <laughs> no, one nice. no one went into No one went integrali.
0: That's a group, that's a group, that's a group A car. It would have to be a Delta S4. Yeah. Oh uh, that's true, yeah. and that, that, that was a bit odd to me. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me again. No, Uh, no, no, Chris,
2: no, Chris, Chris, we're, we're missing, we're missing one topic, we're missing, oh, shit, sorry,
0: sorry, sorry, Neil Clifford, right, off you go, sorry, carry Mm on,
2: I thought he's, I thought he had to finish, not start, oh, no, no,
0: no, 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 he's got to read out what, he's got to read the description,
1: on the basis I wrote, wrote the bloody thing, it's 1979, and you're the manager of the rock band, The Who, you're at the top of your game. You've just finished a world tour. The album Quadrophenia has been a massive critical success. You live in a white stucco fronted house on the King's Road. I know this guy or a very similar guy. You, are, you, you need a family car for your weekend trips to the Witterings down in Hampshire. And um, you also need the ultimate sports car for Zooming around London to all the parties.
2: Discuss. Well, all my mates, obviously, have bought Rolls Royces in their success in the late 70s. I wasn't born yet, but I wanted to be a bit different. So I've decided to have one of the very last Mercedes-Benz 600 Pullmans uh, to uh, take the family down to the beach. And then, because I'm also a total fucking nutter, I need a hyper sports car supercar so i bought myself an lp 400s low body in colorado copper Mm. um (laughs) and i like on a sunday morning i like to race around mayfair (laughs) with my mates
1: (laughs) (laughs) at collecting cars coffee events
0: (laughs) yes exactly yes (laughs) Um, okay, uh, I'm going to have a stab at this. Mm. So the date was a problem for me, but the, the person that wrote the description has given me a little bit of leeway. Uh, I've been given a, a free pass. So I'm a, I'm, I'm a massive car fan, but no one really knows how much of a car fan I am. I'm, I'm one of the connoisseurs. I read the car magazines religiously. I've bought lots of cars already, um, and I've got a good relationship with some of the factories. I start with my sports car, which is um, it's bread and butter. It's an old car now, already, but I've always had a 2.7 RS in the garage. And because it's 1979, I still believe that's the best sports car that's ever been made. Even in 1979, it hasn't been bettered. So I've got one. Um, it's in it's in that blood orange colour. Is it gulf orange or with a blood orange colour? Um, and it's uh, it's not a super lightweight one, but it's right-hand drive. And it's, that's, my, that's my sports car. My family car is a bit more complicated. I've got a very good relationship with Ferrari. And I've had several of their four-seaters, 365s over the years. But they're about to release a concept of a car. And I've seen a picture of it. Pin and Farina have done it. And I really want it. So they've built me one. It's called the Ferrari Pin-In. Um, and it was a concept four-seat Ferrari that was made and was also a Top Trump's hero yeah. car of mine. Yeah. So I've got <laughs> the only Ferrari Pin-In ever made. And Neil Clifford is so jealous right now.
1: It's the best one in prototypes, the pack prototypes.
0: <laughs> I it was released at the beginning of 1980s so I'm
4: probably not allowed it because it was 79 yeah. you've you yeah. me dispensation
0: mm. um, over to Neil. you Manish Oh, sorry. Manish, come on Manish
4: Okay, um, so my sporty cars are going to be a Ferrari 512 Berlinetta Boxer, it's going to be all red with black leather and um, because I am a pot manager and not a great racing driver, I prefer that to the 365 because I won't stall it and that is, the, that is just the most beautiful car. And um, I am going to go Rolls-Royce Silver Shadow too, but I'm going to go Caribbean Blue, which is Ooh. kind of this lovely powdery with navy interior. And I think outside which rings, nice. that's quite great.
0: Yeah. Neil Clifford, come on. How okay. much thought is
4: this?
0: Oh. Your, your, your professional productivity has been reduced by us. <laughs> yeah, no, exactly.
1: Like, why did you have a bad year this year? Oh, podcast. <laughs> um, I would go Mercedes. So I've done, I'm with Ed, but I would go the sensible route. I wouldn't go even, it, the, the 600 even broke down for Alan Clark when he tried to, and he gave it back to Mercedes. So I went 6.9, 450, yeah. 6.9. Yeah. You know, James Hunt, Ronin, the camera car of Rendezvous, double the price of of the standard 450. You know, it was the world's most expensive car at the time, four-seater, the world's fastest four-seater, and it won't break down. This is before the M25. It's before the tunnel at Hindhead. You know, you're stuck in traffic all the way to bloody Chichester, basically. I did that. I lived in Portsmouth. air conditioning won't break fantastic car sports car lamborghini espada oh Sparda, basically you can get the kids in it if you can't be arsed with the mercedes but as a beautiful thing it's 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 tough to rival that i think lamborghini espada for screaming around german street and looking just a dude in green um they didn't do them really in a good dream, did they? They were a bit bright. I would, what would I do? I would have a black one, black, black Lamborghini Spada.
3: Chris, you're all wrong. You're all wrong. Okay. All wrong. <laughs> okay. Because, I should tell you why. Well, first of all, um, it wasn't Quadrophenia. It was Who Are You? No, Quadrophenia that's, was, that's a great album. Quadrophenia yeah. was 73. Um, and... The Who were, they were a mod band. Mod is short for modernist, which was a peculiarly British social phenomena, subculture in the 70s. The rockers were kind of spin-offs of rock and roll. A bit American. very yeah. blah, blah, blah. So it's got to be British. And it's modernist, it's sharp. Sports car, it's got to be a Lotus Esprit Turbo. Ooh. Sharp British right. sports car, one year out. Uh, and it's either then... Three door Range Rover or two door Rolls Corniche.
4: Am I allowed to say it? I almost went for the Esprit S2, and mm. I almost went Corniche actually. So uh, almost Corniche was my backup.
1: Copy. was my backup if someone took my six point nine.
4: <laughs> yeah, I nearly had
0: a six point nine, and I thought entire- <laughs> no, it's got to be British. I've never, I've never driven a six point nine. I have. That's one of the one of the ones that slipped through. I've oh, never fantastic, fantastic. Yeah. Do you yeah, know like, the cool idea that this
4: is just episode four and there's already a kind of unconscious groupthink going on? Next week, we're just going to all pick the same cars, aren't we? No.
0: No, it's not a chance. <laughs> you can next pay at 6.9 Which, which, which Mercedes saloon and which 911 do you choose? Yeah. yeah that's, um, that's, that's, that's definitely subject. It is. Uh, right, so that that is the end, I'm afraid. The, re- the real end. The other one was a false end. Uh, thank you very much to Neil, Chris, Manish and Edward. Join us again next week for more uh, Totally Pointless Car witterings. Uh, Until then, have a great week and make sure that you think about alloy wheel design and give it the respect it deserves. If you're watching it on YouTube, put some comments down there about the quality of my beard. Goodbye. Thank you.